3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present, of the Kulin Nation. We recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to 3CR Breakfast. It's 7am, and today is Tuesday, the 14th of February, 2023. My name is Fung, and in the studio with me, I've got Carnegie. Good morning. Morning, how are you? I'm really well, thank you. Um, How was your weekend? Um, It was very relaxed. Yeah, how was yours? I went to a fundraising event on Friday night. Yeah. Um, It was trivia. And (laughs) I I wouldn't say that I'm very good at trivia, but I get pretty competitive. (laughs) Like, I think that I'm better than I actually am. I'm the exact same way. Yeah, like I hear questions and and I'm like, I should know this, even though there's no way that I would know. Yeah, no, I I am exactly the same. And it's like I don't learn (laughs) from one trivia night to the next. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was pretty proud of myself, though. There was a quick round where (laughs) the host showed photos of 10 Disney stars on the screen. (laughs) Was that your time to shine? And everyone on the team was like, okay, so I think that one was X and I think that was Y and I was already writing (laughs) all 10 names. Exactly right. And I think, um, yeah, they were all pretty shocked. I want to say impressed, but I don't know. I'm personally impressed. Thank you. Well, if you ever want me on a trivia team, just let me know. (laughs) I can help with really specific types of questions i know i'm um i'm always like i dream about you know the slumdog millionaire moment moment yeah, yeah. i'm like i have such specific knowledge mm. and just imagine if those were all the questions that, that would be, be incredible yeah that would be incredible yeah maybe we should just keep just go to trivia every week until that happens for us i think that's a great idea okay, okay. Done. yeah all right well uh let's talk about what we've got on the show today it is i will remind listeners that it is subscriber week um, and we'll be talking more about that but today we wanted to showcase uh, a lot of the different um, projects that 3cr gets involved with and uh yeah if you're a subscriber you can check that out and um and know more about what we do across the station because it's so much more than just our our show so first up we're going to play for you excerpts from the uh, rally for to stop native logging that happened last Tuesday. Uh, we talked a bit about it during our news headlines. Um, Annie from Solidarity Breakfast was there and also talked about it on their show over the weekend. After that, we'll be playing another episode from the podcast series on female genital mutilation, um, circumcision and cutting, uh, created by the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health, as well as the National Educational Toolkit for FGMC, um, and that was recorded uh, with 3CR. So we'll be playing that this morning as well. 
at eight o'clock, um, we'll be joined by Caitlin, who uh, you may remember from Monday and Tuesday breakfast. Uh, she'll be on the show um, speaking with Sam Floriani from Digital Rights Watch, uh, which will be great. Caitlin will be uh, with us for the next four weeks at eight o'clock talking to us about all things digital. And finally, we'll be ending with an um, excerpt from the Atresia's live um, special for our broadcast um, from yesterday's Pride Street Party in Fitzroy. Not yesterday, Sunday. Um, so there'll be, uh, we'll be, we'll be hearing from Frankie. I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce their last name, so I won't. Um, speaking to Sally from Out of the Pan from um, that broadcast this weekend. Okay, we'll be back with the news headlines right after this. Are you a 3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. Call 03-9419-8377 or sign up online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Welcome back to 3CR Breakfast. That was just a little um, announcement there to remind all listeners that this week is our subscriber drive, so from 13th to the 19th of February. To let you know more about it, um, it's $40 um, unwaged concession or pension, $80 wage, $150 band or organisation, or $300 solidarity. And there are so many ways that you can pay and join and become a subscriber you can do it online uh, so go head to 3cr.org.au you can come visit us in person during business hours monday to friday you can also post your details um, via a check or money order or you can call us during business hours on 94198377 and just to give you a bit more of an idea of what it's like to be a 3CR subscriber, um, you become a member of the station and therefore have a say in what happens here. You keep independent and commercial-free radio alive here in Nam, and you get a yearly 3CR magazine called Cram Guide, which is always really great. So please make sure you call up or visit um, the station to subscribe. There are also some pretty sweet discounts. As a subscriber, um, you can get some discounts from places like um, Abbotsford Cycles, uh, Nova Cinema, The Old Bar, Crumpler, so heaps of cool things there. So check it out. Uh, headlines for this morning. Um, thousands of refugees across Australia who have been living in limbo for years will now be eligible to stay in the country permanently. Around 19,000 refugees who arrived before Operation Sovereign Borders started in 2013 will be eligible to apply. They are primarily refugees on temporary protection visas and safe haven enterprise visas, um, and they will now be able to apply for a permanent visa through a resolution of status visa. This will give them the same rights and benefits as the other permanent residents in Australia, including the ability to apply for citizenship once they're eligible. This is um, the Labor government following through with a promise to abolish temporary protection visas ahead of the election. Some news from India. A transgender couple have become the first in India to become parents biologically after one of the partners gave birth on Wednesday in the st southern state of Kerala. 
Zahad, who is a 23-year-old trans man, gave birth on Wednesday last week with his partner Pavel, a 21-year-old trans woman, by his side. The birth of the baby is a milestone for the South Asian nation, where transgender people continue to face discrimination and stigma despite being officially recognized as a third gender since 2014. The couple have declined to disclose the baby's sex. Um, And finally, for our last headline this morning, um, a Noongar family is searching for answers after the death of a 55-year-old grandmother, Glenda Binder, whose body was found at home three days after she was discharged from a Perth hospital. Her death is being investigated by the Western Australian coroner, calling her long-term family doctor, Raji Krishnan, in tears um, from the hospital that she was discharged from. Um, It is the doctor's opinion that she was too unwell to be discharged and her family is looking for answers as to why that occurred. Those were our news headlines for this morning. We'll be back with our first segment after these announcements. Commons Conversations is a series of podcasts in which campaigners share their experiences and insights into activism, learning in movements, radical history and more. Produced by the Commons Social Change Library, it focuses on lessons learnt from involvement in First Nations, disability, AIDS, climate justice, wage theft, disaster recovery and other campaigns. To listen to the series, visit www.3cr.org.au slash acting up. Join us for the upcoming public forum, Sovereignty, Shreedy and First Nations Justice, hosted by Green Left on Monday, February 20th at 6.30pm at the Drill Hall on 506 Elizabeth Street. With the upcoming referendum on Voice to Parliament, discussion about the best ways to fight for Shreedy, Sovereignty and First Nations Justice have been growing. The massive Invasion Day protests of tens of thousands of people across the country is another sign of the growing movement for First Nations justice. And I saw it on the television. Hear from two long-standing First Nations activists, Uncle Gary Murray and Lydia Thorpe, about their views on how to advance treaty, sovereignty and justice for First Nations people and their views on the current discussion about Voice to Parliament. 6.30pm Monday, February 20th at the Drill Hall on 506 Elizabeth Street. Green Left is a free CR supporter. Did you know that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976? Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 039419 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You're listening to 3CR 
uh, Community Radio 855 AM. And that was just another reminder to become a subscriber if you haven't already. Last week on Tuesday, the 7th of February, on the first uh, sitting day of State Parliament for 2023, community members and groups such as Gecko, Wombat Action Group, King Lake Friends of the Forest and Friends of the Earth gathered around Parliament House to urge the Andrews government to ensure an immediate end to native forest logging across the state. Annie from Solidarity Breakfast was at the event and reported on this rally over the weekend. Today we'll play a few excerpts from this gathering. Here's Annie. You're on Solidarity Breakfast with Annie, and as I promised, I said that we'd go to the Rally for the Forests. First up, uh, this was on the steps of uh, Victorian Parliament on the 7th of February. It was uh, uh, scheduled for the first day of Parliament. Uh, First up, we hear from the Climate Choir, um, the Melbourne branch, (laughs) and uh, they set the scene. And then we hear from Sue McKinnon from uh, Friends of King Lake. And we also hear from a representative from uh, Ballarat XR who were helping out the uh, residents of the Wombat uh, State Forest and uh, the defenders of the Wombat State Forest who have already been experiencing big forests going in for uh, what they call uh, salvage logs, but is uh, turning out to be a lot more aggressive than that. But anyway, here we go. Let's let's hear from uh, uh, what they had to say. Happy forests of biodiversity. So what more could we ask trees to do? If the world gets much hotter, then we all know that the weather extremes will be dry. Sunday forests are very combustible. It will be like a funeral pile. Healthy forests are good for the atmosphere. Healthy forests absorb CO2. Healthy forests help biodiversity. So we have Alana and I'm Friends of the Earth Forest Campaigner for Victoria <laughs> and I just want to say I'm so grateful to each and every one of you for showing up here today on the first sitting day of Parliament to make some noise and send a really clear message to those sitting within the big house that we want to see real action for forests and this is the year and we want to see an end to forest logging. I'd love to give a warm welcome to Sue McKinnon from King Lake Friends of the Forest, who some of you may know, she's been working very hard with her community group to protect threatened species such as the greater glider. So here we have Sue. Hey, amazing to see everyone here. As Alana said, I'm Sue McKinnon. I'm fortunate enough to live in King Lake. I'm right near the King Lake tall mixed eucalypt species forest and not far away from Tulangi, beautiful mountain ash forest. I've been in this campaign for seven years and finally, finally I'm beginning to realise what Mahatma Gandhi said. First they ignore you, 
then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. So right now, Vic Forest is on its knees. It has no social license. It's been found to have been illegally logging and it's losing money year after year. Last year, it made a loss of $54 million. Over its 18 years, us taxpayers have given Vic Forest our forest for free. We've given Vic Forest $121 million for the privilege of having our forest cut down. And this government is now handy, giving them access to another $50 million to continue to operate this year. So in the Supreme Court last year, a decision was handed down in what became known as the Gliders case. It was found that Vic Forest is killing greater gliders. And Vic Forest knew that. Their own expert admitted it in court. It was also found that Vic Forest is driving yellow belly gliders and greater gliders, both threatened species, towards extinction. It was found that Vic Forest is not looking for greater gliders or yellow belly gliders before they log. And it was found that Vic Forest has been logging illegally over the entire of the Central Highlands and East Gippsland. But we knew this. We knew that Vic Forest was logging illegally. And the government up here knew that too. In May 2020, it was handed, the decision in the Friends of Leadbeater Possum versus Vic Forest case was handed down. And in that case, it was found that Vic Forest is breaking state laws. It was a federal court case. It found that Vic Forest had been breaking state logging laws, many of them, including clause 2.2.2.2, which is the precautionary principle. And the government knew this, and the government regulator did nothing. Vic Forest did not change their, their management, did not change their operations, and yet the government regulator did nothing. It took five, five community groups took the government to court then. And most of us focused on that clause that I just mentioned, the precautionary principle. I mentioned the precautionary principle because this is a fundamental principle that was brought in, in the, into Australian laws when, Vic, when Australia signed the Rio Declaration back in 1992. Back then, in the Earth Summit, it was globally became accepted that to be sustainable, you must take precaution to not risk serious or irreversible environmental damage. So for Vic Forest to now have been found to be in breach of this precautionary principle 
four times now, including widespread logging, means that they cannot call themselves sustainable. And this government cannot accept that they call themselves sustainable, let alone refer to them as sustainable. It also means that any company that's using Vic Forests in their supply chain needs to remove sustainable from their marketing spin. And we need to call this out. And this includes Nippon through their arm Opal Australia. They're taking 85% of Vic Forests, the trees that Vic Forests cut down and, and removed from the forest. And they may close their white paper line, but they will still take native forest for their packaging lines. They're converting native forest into cardboard. It includes ship pellets, who are making 2,700 pellets every day from native forest. That's 500 tonnes of our trees, 500,000 kilograms of, of our trees every single day. Woolworths, Coles, Aldi, all use ship pellets. And we need to call this out. They can't call themselves sustainable if their very transport is based on the destruction of our native forest. What do we want? Nobody. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Nobody. When do we want it? Now. I'm from 3CR and I was interested in uh, finding out about Ballarat uh, Extinction Rebellion's work uh, defending the Wombat sure. State Forest. Can you tell this me what's been going on? Yeah, so um, we've been helping out with the Wombat Forest Action Group. The uh, Vic Forest, we first heard a year or two ago that they were starting to do what they were calling salvage operations. We didn't believe it. And um, we started looking into it and we found out, of course, that it's uh, much more than just salvage. They're in enlarging their log landings, they're pulling out, they're cutting down living trees. So as we suspected, this is, this is uh, much more than just salvage clean-up work of what they originally said it was. Yeah, so how have you gone about uh, dealing with... Uh, what's your tactic? Yeah, so Wombat Action Group are the people who live in the neighbourhood. So we've, first, one of the first things we did was set up a chat, chat group, so that whenever they heard machinery or saw trucks moving, they could let everybody know. We hooked them up with um, the Extinction Rebellion people in Ballarat, the XR Ballarat crew, because we've got you know extra numbers for them, so we can get a few more people to come out when they need people to be on site in the forest. Also help them out with a bit of social media and media and so forth. But the Wombat Action Group are pretty, pretty organised already in that regard. So moral support, a bit of technical aid, and and some extra numbers when they need some support, and also coming along to events like this in Melbourne today at Parliament House. The more we all work together, all well, these groups involved in the same topics, the more we work together, the stronger we are. How, su yeah, how successful has uh, the uh, tactics been? Because there's been people lock locking on. I mean, that's a personal uh, decision uh, by people, very courageous. Uh, but how uh, successful ha has the tactics been? Yeah, very successful. We had one person lock on last week. That was the first time we've actually done anything like that. Previously, we've just been turning up with banners and signs and things. It's quite confronting. Yeah, so escalation time. So we had someone lock on last week, and there's been no work at the site 
all week, last week. Uh, today, as far as we know, there hasn't been any work. As I say, we have people out there, so we know when there's work going on. Um, and the other actions going on around from the other forest groups, such as the court case, all of these things combined, as I was saying before, groups working together, all of these things combined are absolutely going to stop that logging in Wombat Forest. We know very well that Vic Forest had big plans for what they were going to do in the Wombat, and I believe that the, the opposition that they've got from the locals has made them change their plans. I think they thought they were just going to do a bit of logging. It's a remote area, it's in the country, nobody will notice. But they've absolutely chosen the wrong people to, uh, to, to ignore and discount because the people in Dalesford, the people in Ballarat, all around the Central Highlands, we love our forests. We have to protect them. The remnant forest is very rare. There are endangered species in there and we just cannot have that being torn up and turned into cardboard to send overseas. Just as a matter of interest, do you know if the people who are uh, driving the machines, etc., etc., are they locals or are they bringing them in, work crews from elsewhere? Yeah, there are a couple of different contractors we've noticed. We've noticed the names on the trucks, on the sides of the trucks are contractors. Some of them uh, may or may not be local. We had one group of contractors who suddenly packed up and left because we put a complaint into the Office of the Conservation Regulator uh, about this group working in an area, in a coop. And um, the day after we put the complaint in, the OCR asked to see their permits and paperwork, which they didn't have, so they packed up and left. So, so they were opportunists. Oh, there's a lot of cowboy stuff going on out there. I assume they were employed by Vic Forest to do this work, but did they have their paperwork and permits in place? No, they did not. Let alone an authority to control wildlife, which is what you need if there's going to be any animals in the forest. So even just simple actions of asking to see their paperwork and their permits, Vic Forest is not even doing that. And it's just an outrage. So we've been all over them um, from the proper channels. People, people often don't hear about the proper channel stuff we do because what they see is the exciting stuff like people locking on that gets on the news. We've been working on this for well over a year now, going through the proper channels, and we keep being ignored. So that's when we start locking on. Thanks very much. Thank you to Annie from Solidarity Breakfast for that report. If you'd like to stay up to date with the campaign to end native logging, please look up groups such as Wombat Action Group, Goongara Environment Centre, King Lake Friends of the Forest and Friends of the Earth for more information. Next up, we're going to play a song um, by a, a electronic a duo from Sydney called Vallis Alps. This is their most recent single. It's called On the Eve of the Rush. Do you
That was On the Eve of the Rush by Valis Alps. This week, we're bringing you another episode from the podcast series on female genital mutilation, circumcision and cutting, also known as FGMC, created by the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health, as well as the National Educational Toolkit for FGMC Awareness Project and recorded with 3CR. To mark the International Day of Zero Tolerance for FGMC, which is on Monday 6th of Feb, Net for Leadership program participant Patients are for interviewed a survivor of FGMC, Victoria, not her real name, and her husband, Chris, also not his real name. Victoria um, shares with patients about the short-term and long-term impacts of FGMC. Both Victoria and Chris unpack the harms of the cultural justifications of FGMC and talk about their experiences about the um, impact that this has had on their marriage and advocate passionately um, to end FGMC. to NETFA podcast with myself, Patience Afo, participant of the NETFA leadership program. NETFA is the national education toolkit for female genital mutilation, cutting or circumcision awareness, which is a project coordinated by the Multicultural Center Women's Health. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that I am joining you all today from Nanowal, country of Canberra, Australia. I would like to pay respect to elders past and present. Content warning. This podcast contains important stories and conversations about female genital mutilation, circumcision, cutting, some listeners may find this triggering. Support is available on the NETFA website. Please go to netfa.com.au or contact the Multicultural Center for Women's Health on free call 1800-656-421. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Victoria who will be sharing her experiences of female genital mutilation or cutting. Please, Ma, what is the name you would like to go by in this interview? I would like to be called Victoria in this interview. Thank you, Victoria. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? My state of birth is in West Africa, Nigeria. I came to Australia for an adventure and most especially to study and know more, especially in terms of culture that has brought me pain over the years from my childhood, even until date. 
I really wanted to run away from that portion and just to get exposed and learn more. At the moment, I'm working, but I do more research online just to empower myself in terms of knowledge. When, when, yeah, when did you first experience this uh, female uh, genital uh, cotton? I witnessed this when I was 15. And this was done, organized by my parents, as it is cultural thing where I come from. Um, it's part of um, parents' uh, pride for the, for the parents, their pride. And it's part of your marital right as well, because if you get it done, then you're, you, you get married or you miss out on one. So it happens annually. Depends on your age. So if you miss out on the previous year, if you're in the age bracket, then, you know, you get rolled into the next year. So it's something parents definitely want you to do because of what mm -hmm. the society wants. So this happened at that stage of my life where I already know pains, I already feel pains. I already know the difference between pains and non-painful things. So it was really a horrible night for me. It was really a horrible day for me. Not just a day. It's something, the pain that continued for weeks, something that you do and you bleed for days. It's something you do and you feel so depressed for weeks and months. So, yeah. So actually from your question, I, I think I... I experienced this at the age of 15. Um, Victoria, could you please um, tell us some of that? We have had your um, short-term effects. Could you please tell us some of your longer effects or some of the long effects this has caused on you or for people who pass through this uh, curtain? Some of the long-term effects that I know that I'm, and I've heard people talk about are some get scar tissue and keloid around the genital area, and which is like a very big problem when you have keloid in between your legs. It's really terrible. And I know of some complications during childbirth and which leads some women to having cesareas and you know excessive bleeding during childbirth as well and and i think one of the terrible part of it is the psychological problem you know it has to do with depression has to do with anxiety trauma stress low self-esteem you know i think it's that's the most for me i think that's the very terrible part of it for a young person you know from 15 and you have to deal with this until 60, 50 or 40 or whenever you could, you know, start to have a solution around that problem, you know. And I think another long-term um, long effect or complications can be vaginal problems, you know. You see people having bacteria all the time because you never know the kind of equipment which they have used when this procedure was going on. You know, some of these razors, scissors, wearing sterilized, 
they were used for different people. They could be transfer of, you know, HIV, some kind of bacteria living on these objects or equipment that wasn't sterilized, you know. If someone gets HIV through this process, you know, it's it's everlasting. So those are the long-time complications that I think include this. And that's really why I would like this to, to stop. You know, it's a terrible culture, really, which I really want the society to be aware of and to put a stop to it. Thank you. Victoria, um, sometimes I hear some ladies saying that they do not enjoy sex with their husbands because of the pain or the block, the blocking of the canal. Is this as well applicable to you? It's something that has to do with, it causes low, low libido in females because that part of you that was cut off affects your sexual life, you see? And because this, this area has been tampered with, if there was caloid around that area, you could see, imagine the kind of pain this person has to go through in an area where there is a caloid. So you find there's so much pain when you're having any sexual intercourse. You see, you feel so much in between the time. You can even start spotting, like blood spotting. You could feel the pressure on you. So it's always terrible. You can, my husband, Chris can always, you know, talk about his experience as well because it hasn't been easy for both of us to, um, in terms of sexual relationship or sexual intercourse. Yeah, it's it's really, really terrible. You have just been listening to stories about female genital mutilation stroke, circumcision stroke, cutting. If you found that content triggering or distressing, Support is available on the NETFA website. Please go to netfa.com.au or contact the Multicultural Center for Women's Health on free call 1800-656-421. You are currently tuned into the NETFA podcast with myself, Patience Afo as your host. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Victoria. If you have one key message about FGMC for listeners, what would it be, please? Today, uh, I'm so glad I got this opportunity to share my experience with Every, everybody out there, communities, um, families, um, people from different cultures, really, um, I wish this message can go as far as it can, just to educate people more about this female genital mutilation. Um, over the years, I think people... Um, especially from where my state of origin, it's a cultural thing. 
and this is has really got no health benefits. It has only caused harm to people, especially the females who they have been practicing this culture on. It has brought severe pain to so many people, severe bleeding. It has caused shocks, anxiety, even death. It's got long-term complications. So I really want this culture to stop. The reason for me sharing is to impact it into someone for them not to pass through the same pain or stress that I, I had gone through or I'm going through presently. Um, during some of our discussions, you told me that um, you got married at the age of 17. Is it possible to have a chat with your husband? Just a short one, please. Yes, please. My husband is uh, over the phone. Um, yeah, he can join us. Uh, thank you, sir, for being open to talking with me for the NETFA podcast. Firstly, what is the name you would like to be, you would like to go by in this interview? Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. I would love to go with Chris. All right, Chris, thank you. And please, Chris, can you tell us a bit about yourself? I work as a mechanical engineer in Canberra, but uh, I travel to Western Australia for um, a business proposal. I grew up uh, in Imo State, Eastern Nigeria. I came to Australia for adventure and also study, and then um, get to um, experience the different um, cultures, as I've been hearing over the news that Australia is uh, a multicultural country. Great, Chris. I have discussed at length with your wife, Victoria, the experiences she has had as a result of FGMC. I would love to hear about your perspectives on this practice. In all honesty, it hasn't been easy since I got married. As it is part of our culture in those days to for women to be circumcised without, without the knowledge of the implications it will cause in the near future. I got married to my wife. She is circumcised, which is um, which is demanded by culture, and um, it hasn't been really easy. For example, if if we want to make love, sometimes I lose the interest because of the pain. The pain I know my wife is going to go through as soon as we start. Um, secondly, it's randomly, she gets a lot of pain, even sometimes during urination because of UTI as a circumcision also creates uh, a lot of room for infections. So in all honesty, it hasn't really been easy. Thank you, Chris. Um, could you please, Chris, tell us some of the things you feel your wife has passed through because of FGMC, which you do not like? 
Yes. Starting from um, starting from the beginning, or regularly, my wife do pass through unnecessary pains, infections, unhappiness. For example, if the most the, one of the most enjoyable moments between a husband and a wife is their married their matrimonial um, performances. For example, much, making love to each other. Sometimes when my wife remembers that she cannot she cannot satisfy her husband the way he wants, she will fall out in tears. Sometimes when I want to make love with my wife and then I remember the pain she's going to go through, I will withdraw my feelings. Most of the time she gets UTI. She gets infections, which I myself have, have gotten a few times because of that. So... It's it really on her own side. It has never been easy. She is just she's living when it comes to matrimonial. She is living by the by the support I'm giving to her and understanding. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. And um, how can men like you have told us some of your experiences? And I'm quite sure, like your wife said, during labor, all those things, it has never been an easy moment with you as well. Then how can men be part of this movement that we are making to end FGMC? Please. Yeah, okay. Um, I will urge my fellow men who are learned, at least this is the 21st uh, century. There's a lot of... Uh, um, materials to acquire knowledge and I believe so much that the um the youth these days they are more advanced when it comes to technology. I will urge my fellow men to carry out research ask questions use using my own experience as well to join hand and fight this particular part of the culture, which it's not only harmful, but detrimental. To fight and say, and work hard for this to be abolished, so that when they, when they themselves get married, they wouldn't be experiencing what I'm experiencing. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. You've really done a novel. Um, if you have one key message for men listening, what would that be? My key message to my fellow men listening is to pay attentive attention to pay attentive attention to their to their wives. For those that are married, especially those that married the circumcised, those that are from my culture that married circumcised women to pay a good attention to the pain 
and try to find out what they are going through if they have never had this at the back of their mind, to also research and fight for this particular culture to be abolished so that our, our daughters will be free and enjoy their marriage. I would like to also, also speak to the hearing of the elders in Imo State, where I come from, that they should also welcome the idea of abolishing this particular culture when their son speaks to them about it, as it has done more harm than good. Thank you all. That's very great, Chris. You've really spoken well. Thank you for sharing your experiences and thoughts with us today. You have been listening to a survivor of female genital mutilation cutting or circumcision with myself, Patience Afo. Today we spoke with Victoria about her experiences of female genital mutilation cutting and the perspective of her husband. The podcast was produced in Nanowa country, Canberra, and supported by Multicultural Center for Women's Health. Support is available on the NETFA website. Please go to netfa.com.au or contact the Multicultural Center for Women's Health on free call one 800 656 421. Thank you for listening. Victoria and Chris speaking to NETFA leadership participant Patient Safor about the impact that FGMC has had on their lives. If you would like to learn more about this issue or listen back to previous episodes of the podcast, please go to mcwh.com.au or visit our Tuesday breakfast page on 3CR later this morning for our podcast. Next up, we're going to play a song. Um, so last week, one of Tuesday Breakfast's favorite NAM-based bands, Camp Corp, announced that they will be doing their last ever show next month before the band parts ways. Camp Corp has been instrumental in calling out sexism in the music industry by being vocal about closing the gender pay gap, calling out sexual harassment, and demanding female and gender diverse musicians to be allowed to take up more space. Um, we're going to play my favorite Camp Cope song that addresses a lot of these themes. It's called The Opener.
So that was uh, The Opener by Camp Cope. You're listening to 3CR. My name's Caitlin McGrain and I am very excited to be doing a little um, residency for the next few weeks in the lead up to International Women's Day on the 7th of March. So this year's theme for International Women's Day is cracking the, or in Australia, is cracking the code, innovation for a gender equal future. So while I think this is a really great theme, I think it speaks to a lot of really important and pressing issues. I also really want to trouble the idea of what innovation means and how that fits with what we know about the ways that the world is unequal for many women and gender diverse people and whether or not innovation is actually going to be is the best way um oh i have just been told yeah international women's day is the eighth wednesday the 8th of march i never know when i sort of it always sneaks up on me (laughs) um and so in keeping with that theme this year so we're talking to uh four four different people over the next few weeks and our first guest this morning is sam floriani from digital rights watch you're the program lead and i think you've been a fairly frequent guest on 3cr sam yeah, I love it here. Yeah, good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, so you and I have had a bit of a chat before the show about this theme. And I think I just want to hear from you about your perspective, both as somebody who works in the digital rights movement, but also somebody who um, is a sort of really passionate advocate about gender equality in that space as well so you're sort of you know that sitting at the intersection of those two ideas so what is your what is your take on cracking the code innovation for a gender equal future yeah great what a juicy open question to start with um so I feel like I should uh, acknowledge that um before I um, before I started working in the digital rights space and started doing digital rights advocacy, at least formally, um, I actually did do a couple of years stint in the women in tech movement, mm. which um, <laughs> relates to this theme really, uh, really well, I think. And so I think I want to like dig into that a little bit because I think there's this there's this sense that if we can just increase representation of women and gender diverse people in the tech industry, that that will necessarily solve a lot of the sort of uh, ethical problems Mm -hmm. that exist in the industry. And I really want to, I guess, critique that because I think it's a very common idea, but I think it really sort of falls short. Um, But I do want to acknowledge that, you know, there is a lot of really good work being done in the women in tech space. You know, like when I was when I first joined that space, like I um, was incredibly isolated and alone mm-hmm. trying to navigate, um, you know, being in technical spaces, studying data science, just feeling completely isolated um, because the gender like disparity in those spaces is still so immense. And so connecting with these groups that, you know, run events and like bring women and gender diverse people together who are trying to pursue like technical careers can be really, really valuable. But I think we need to be thinking really critically about the the role of like diversity and inclusion um, 
sort of tactics when it comes to um, trying to push for like actual structural change. Mm. Like there's this idea that, you know, just by the grace of having more women or more non-binary people in tech that it will, you know, yeah, fundamentally be able to, you know, change those issues. And, and it's, it's just not really the case. Absolutely. No, and I agree. And I'm looking at the uh, UN Women website um, at the moment and the one of the premium partners on the uh, IWD Day events is the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. So I think there's like a clear sort of link between the like the sort of the nationalism of and the appeal of having more sort of women represented in positions of power, but not thinking critically about about like you said changing those those structural uh, barriers that women face and also gender diverse people face in sort of different and sometimes more complex ways um so what is uh what is what, what is digital rights watch up to at the moment in terms of thinking about like innovation and um the the representation of women in digital spaces yeah, great question. I mean, this kind of thing comes up um, across like, kind of all areas of work, I suppose. Like, it's not like its own distinct, um, like, standalone thing, which I think is important because if you if we think about it in those terms, then it can become quite tokenistic and quite. Um, I think that's when it can start to sort of slip really easily into like this like girl boss corporate mm-hmm. white feminist sort of approach where you're just seeking to accumulate power on the backs of others. Yeah. Um, so, so definitely trying to apply like a gendered or feminist lens across um, a range of different areas of work. I think where this comes up a lot at the moment in particular is around um, online safety and mm-hmm. around, you know, things like content moderation, um, things like how can we, you know, create technical, like or technological products that enhance um safety for women and I think it's a really fascinating and really tricky area because you know so many of these um, you know quote-unquote solutions can create um, additional problems for um, women like especially women in sort of more vulnerable or marginalized groups so thinking mm-hmm. about um, women of color queer women um, sex workers it, 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 it can become really tricky when we start to try to um, impose sort of these top-down, very carceral, punitive approaches to mm. online safety. Um, so that's a really big um, issue in, I think, in this space at the moment. And like when I'm, you know, when I'm thinking about innovation for gender equality, my my like immediate reaction is to, to start thinking about the issues related to techno solutionism. Mm. And so. Um, techno solutionism is essentially this idea that you know you can just sort of slap technology onto these complex social issues and and fix them, which is just very rarely the case. More often than not, it just creates more problems. I think you're right, and I'm thinking of the news that came out yesterday that the draft codes from industry, so sort of Google, Meta, Twitter, have been rejected by the eSafety Commissioner. So they were. There was a, this is to do with the Online Safety Act that came into effect a couple of years ago. And industry was tasked with designing their own um, codes 
and so and then they've been submitted to the e-safety commissioner and the safety commissioner has rejected them because they're not up to scratch. So do you think that that plays into, or how do you think that plays into this top-down carceral approach? Yeah, I think it's really, it's kind of fascinating to observe it happening and, well, not just observe it, but be like actively <laughs> participating in the debate. Um, mm. But like, I think it's, I think it's entirely reasonable and, in fact, necessary to be pushing the tech industry to be better at this stuff and mm. to, you know, to really take it seriously that there is a lot of um, abuse and harassment and harm being caused on these big platforms. And so I think that's important. But I also um, think that the, the, a lot of the powers that have been afforded to the safety office um, and the commissioner um, are also kind of based in this um, this yeah, very sort of punitive carceral approach. And so you have this situation where you've kind of got this argument happening between these two entities and, it, it, like, it's kind of, it feels like, you know, a bit of a, a, bit of a lose-lose situation. Like, mm. <laughs> um, I think industry was tasked with kind of a really hard, ch- like, challenging task. Like, the, the Online Safety Act is very complex and, and the... Yeah. Demands coming from e-safety are very um, intense, and so I think, um, yeah, it was industry sort of felt like I think they sort of were a bit doomed to fail yeah. in that. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not to make, that's not to defend the industry; they mm. also need to be doing more. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, one of the I think it's one of the biggest challenges that we're facing in thinking about digital safety and online safety is, you know, safety for whom and from what. And defining that, I think, is a real challenge for um, definitely, like you said, industry, but also for regulators and for us in the community to figure out sort of what it is that we want, what makes us feel safe online, what makes us feel unsafe online and how, how do we navigate those those spaces, especially when so much of our lives are sort of taking place in a in digitized forms. Yeah. So I think I was just wanted to sort of come back to this idea of like innovation. And yeah. when you're saying sort of, you know, that the the solutions being presented are kind of quite carceral, they're quite punitive. But then I'm guessing I'm just thinking about, well, how does innovation then play into that? So what sort of is it? it and I think what I can kind of what I'm thinking you're saying is that the innovative what's innovative for you know some people is probably going to be quite um, mundane and already done for quite a few other people does that sound about right what do you what do you think about that yeah, or either mundane or, or, or potentially actively harmful. Yeah. I mean, I'm, one of the ex- examples that's coming to mind right now is, uh, I think it was 2021 when um, a police commissioner, I think it was the New South Wales police commissioner, made a suggestion that they should develop an app for mm. sexual consent. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this based on this idea that if you, you know, you, oh, consent is really hard for people to, like, navigate or whatever. Like, mm. why don't we just create an app so that people can, like, tick I consent to sex and then that will solve the problems of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And it was met with huge backlash, rightly so, um, because, it, you know, this is a classic example of techno solutions and trying to slap an app onto something like sexual consent would... It's so easy to, to imagine how that would end up being used against... Um, 
against victims or victim survivors of sexual assault. It's just like unbelievable that this was even like uttered out of somebody's mouth. Like, and I, I'm sort mm. of loath to bring it up, except to point out that you know these are people in power making suggestions about like technical innovation mm. that you know very well could get picked up. Um, and so, yeah, I think we need to be like very. Uh, critical and like be questioning these kinds of um, ideas around innovation and how they will actually like materially impact um, well-being and safety and 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 the lives of women and gender non-conforming people. And mm-hmm. I think that like bringing it back to this idea of um, you know of diversity and inclusion, I do think that that does have a role to play. I don't want to completely dismiss that. Like, you know, mm. having more women and uh, non-binary people in in the room helping to design things, I think, can have a role to play in terms of at least being like, oh, hey, have you have you at least thought about, you know, have you thought about this? Have you thought about, um, you know, I'm even thinking about, like, how iPhones are, like, too big for the, you know, the average size of women's hands, like, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, having more women in the room may go some way, but it 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 won't by like by default challenge those like underlying like until we really grapple with the underlying like incentives and ideologies underneath tech, which is you know very much a a, a white supremacist capitalist mm-hmm. ideology. Mm-hmm. Until we like fundamentally grapple with that, you know, no amount of women in the room are necessarily going to be able to change that and I also question um sorry I want to no 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 I love it keep going (laughs) um uh I also you know I think we need to be thinking about like how much you know ethical responsibility we place onto women like yeah by you know by nature of being a woman or being gender non-conforming that you have to have like a a higher ethical standard I mean I would hope so but like that's that's a it's a pretty intense um responsibility to put onto people and also to assume that that um, you know, that cis men are incapable of that feels very, like, very bioessentialist and very, like, reductive and not helpful. Absolutely. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that there's an awful lot of pressure placed on women and gender diverse people to come up with the innovations and come up with the solutions that are going to, like you said, transform these systems and structures of power and the you know, we don't benefit from them, really. Um, but we're somehow tasked with being like, well, you because you because you're oppressed by them, you must know the solutions to sort of how to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, but I'm sort of curious for to hear from you sort of what you think is what do you what do you think does work? Or what do you think is actually worthwhile pursuing? And I know that Digital Rights Watch have done um, a lot of work around thinking about alternative forms of digital content creation and um, communication and I wondered sort of how those how that's progressing and um, yeah how we can how we can amplify that yeah great so I mean obviously like it's a huge it's a huge issue so there's lots of Mm. different sort of ideas floating around Um, one of the things that I think is really important so uh, last year we did this big project where we spoke to a lot of um, creative and cultural and knowledge workers around Australia um, mm. who use digital platforms and, and you know, on like online services to, to do their work, and, and so many of the issues were um, related to things like being 
undervalued or being underpaid or mm-hmm. having no power in terms of like bargaining power with major digital platforms because they hold the monopoly and all mm. of these things. And so, you know, we've started to do some thinking around like, okay, well, how could we like fundamentally challenge that? And I think one of the real, like coming back to those underlying um, motives that I mentioned before, like needing to get to the root of it rather than just kind of the symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been doing quite a bit of thinking about how, um, because so much of the internet, and I'm talking like all of it, like in terms of the 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 undersea cables and mm-hmm, the, um, mm-hmm. the ISP infrastructure, and then also the platforms on top of it, because so much of that is held in private yep. corporate hands. Mm-hmm. They serve private interests, mm-hmm. right? And so we've been thinking about like, well, okay, well, what could an alternative look like? What would mm-hmm. publicly controlled, like collective, cooperative approaches to um, the internet look like and how could they be like collectively governed and managed in a way mm. that does enhance well-being for, pe- for all people you know mm. and that and I think that is um, you know some really challenging thinking but some really important thinking about how can we disrupt <laughs> it's fun to turn <laughs> the term disrupt back on tech, yeah um, disrupt but that's um, real disruption right like that's a real disruption to the status quo that's a real disru- yeah. disruption to the flows of power and wealth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the kind of thing that we really need to be thinking about because, because mm. yeah, having all of these, um, having all of these, like what has become critical social infrastructure. And I think that the internet yep. pl- platforms, like they, they are a critical social infrastructure mm-hmm. in the hands of corporate interests that are seeking, you know, um, ever like, you know, growth forever and, and profit, mm. you know, always seeking profit those kinds of motives are by their very nature not going to serve the interests of um the collectives and are going to serve the interests of people including women and non-binary people mm-hmm. absolutely um there is an event on this evening with um cory doctorow and uh, rebecca giblin uh talking about their book choke point capitalism which i think talks to a lot of these yeah. a lot of these issues so that's being held at acme tonight and i don't know i i actually have a spare ticket so if anyone wants it please <laughs> slide into my dms on twitter um yeah so i am really grateful for all your time today sam where can we where can we hear more about the work that digital rights watch are doing yeah, so we've got a website, which is www.digitalrightswatch.org.au. So mm-hmm. people can jump on there. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and um, people can also join up, sign up for our mailing list, which is where you hear about stuff. Mm-hmm. We're trying to be less reliant on uh, social media as a way to communicate with people. Um, so there's that as an option. But, yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun to chat about some of these um really tricky issues. Thanks so much, Sam. Look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks, Caitlin. Bye. Bye. So that was Sam Floriani from Digital Rights Watch, the program lead there talking about innovation, disruption, online safety, all those really meaty topics. We'll be right back after this. Join us for the upcoming public forum, Sovereignty, Treaty and First Nations Justice, hosted by Green Left on Monday, February 20th at 6.30pm at the Drill Hall on 506 Elizabeth Street. With the upcoming referendum on Voice to Parliament, 
discussion about the best ways to fight for treaty, sovereignty and First Nations justice have been growing. The massive Invasion Day protests of tens of thousands of people across the country is another sign of the growing movement for First Nations justice. Hear from two long-standing First Nations activists, Uncle Gary Murray and Lydia Forbes, about their views on how to advance treaty, sovereignty and justice for First Nations people and their views on the current discussion about voice to Parliament. 6.30pm Monday, February 20th at the Drill Hall on 506 Elizabeth Street. Green Left is a free CR supporter. You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Last Sunday, uh, 3CR put on a special four-hour live broadcast from the Pride Street Party in Fitzroy with interviews, commentary and stories from Out of the Pan, In Your Fakes, P.S. Fano and Queering the Air. Today we're going to replay for you an excerpt from Sally's live broadcast. Um, Sally's first guest was actor, activist and Midsummer Youth Ambassador Frankie Mazzoni. Let's get straight into this. Well, we won't get straight into the show. Let's get queer into the show. And I've got so many great guests. One is already sitting with me. It is an absolute joy and honour to have Frankie Mazzoni with me. Frankie, welcome to the 3CR Airwaves. Hi, thank you for having me. Frankie, there's so much to talk about. I wish we had the whole hour, but um, we've certainly got time to talk about, um, first up, what, um, you are, what Midsummer means to you. And what you're doing here today at the um, Pride Street Party? Um, today I'm getting to MC the Smith Street stage at the Vic Pride Party and getting to be this year's Midsummer Youth Ambassador, which is very exciting. It is absolutely awesome. I mean, you know, we acknowledge um, queer people and trans people of yep. all age groups and generations, but I'm going to I'm going to say this because I always do, and I'll get it out of the way for. A, Oh, I like to say all labels are valid. A middle-aged chook in a pan like myself <laughs> to see um, someone who is now 15 just out there <laughs> rocking it, and I've got to say, looking glam as well. Oh, thank you. Um, just it's it's a cathartic thing for someone of my era, yeah. and um, you're just you know you're cooking along with your life. Um, tell us more though about what you're doing as part of Midsummer because you've got some very um, today that is because you've got some very special things happening. Yeah, so I started off the day doing the Uncle Jack tribute, which was very, very exciting. It was a very good experience because um, he did Welcome to Country on the Gertrude Street stage last year. So it's it's an honour to be on the same stage as him. Um, and yeah, now I'm here and I'm going to go and see the Smith Street stage after this. Oh, look, absolutely. And, you know, just um, I will just connect that into the wonderful acknowledgement that we just heard um, played, recorded by um, 3CR's um, fabulous quietly behind the scenes team doing so much Michaeli um, who I just want to thank right off the bat for all of the great work they've put in to um, putting this together as part of all of the 3CR team who just do so much but um, on the point I mean it is so important that we acknowledge that um, rainbow communities are intersectional and diverse and I just mm. love the connection there between um, you know what you've just said about acknowledging Uncle Jack Charles who of course is just such a legend. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you're, you're an MC now. I've, uh, <laughs> as someone who sits behind a microphone, you could say I've been an MC, you know, sort of totally. Um, what did you, you know, did you have this yearning to be an MC? Was it just something that came from deep within? Well, I mean, I've had the honour of being able to MC Uncle Jack's show and I with Uncle Jack for the last six years. 
And it started off with me just giving the trigger warning about him saying naughty words. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then it kind of progressed from there. And I really enjoy it. So, yeah. Yeah, look, it is fun. It brings things together and um, uses that skill, which is, you know, sort of so important. And, um, you know, you're, here you are just, you know, I know it's it maybe cliche, but you're out and proud in so many ways, which is um, so awesome. And, yeah. you know, showing your skills as a whole person in conjunction with um, your sense of identity, which is sort of what we're always after. Yeah. Yeah. And we've also got to thank your um, mum, Patrice. Thank you, mum. Not far away, and She's all there. his family and support. Yeah. Um, who are who are here? Who helped arrange things? Yeah. Um, and you know, you um, mentioned as we were chatting just before we went live to air that you're at a very supportive school for yeah. young trans and queer people, which is of course important that you get that foundation to build on, get yeah. your life rolling. Can you tell us a little more about sort of what they've done to be supportive for you and queer youth? I mean, I'm very fortunate to be at that school. Um, I think the biggest thing that they've done to help me, which I found very helpful, was just to take it in baby steps. So when I want to change my name on the role, they've been able to do that, change my pronouns and come out publicly. I think they've just been a really good help in, in that sense. And I think it's been great, yeah. Yep, absolutely. And. Um, yeah, so that sort of culture and that direction and leadership has been helpful on, um, yeah. you know, sort of um, people in your particular class and year, how, can I ask how that's gone? I don't, I haven't had that many like issues. I think everyone is just being really great about it. I think most people at that school are queer, which is pretty cool. So there, there aren't many issues. <laughs> Look, it is, a, it is a happy joy to hear that when I hear of <laughs> schools around now where it's like there's more queer kids than um, cisgender, heterosexual yeah, no. and presumably endosex. It's like... There's so many. It's, it's utopia. <laughs> <laughs> and it seriously is good and cathartic that we have that happening. Yeah. And, um, you know, sort of um, your you do lots of stuff you've been doing some short films as well yeah I have I mean this was kind of before COVID I did heaps of acting and stuff which was really fun but yeah I think after COVID it's been a little hard to get back into it but yeah baby steps well look things do seem to be coming back I mean yeah. I've been to some packed live music gigs over yeah. the summer where it's just been sellouts and touring artists are um, are coming through, um, you know, sort of, and they're having to put on extra shows now um, yeah, to, yeah. because of the demand. And um, everybody just wants to party. <laughs> everyone wants to just get back to, we'll say, as usual a life as possible. We acknowledge yeah. that there are people who are immunocompromised and may not be able to do that. Now, hearts are still very much with mm. them as well. Um, but um, you know, sort of, tell us, tell us a little more about the acting. What sort of styles have you done um, when you did it? Um, I'm mainly doing heaps of film and TV. Um, I'm doing a little bit of theatre. I'm studying theatre studies at school at the moment, which is really interesting. Um, I mean, it's very different, but I enjoy it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. And look, um, I'm going to ask the really important question. You're happy doing it very happy it's then, something that i want to do in the future i reckon well that's that is so much the main <laughs> thing um you know that um you have that happiness and are able to have that joy which is you know sort of what we always wanted for our communities um because it just gives us that sense of of thriving and achieving our full potential which is every human's right yeah and um you know you, you it's great that your school is on board but we know sadly sometimes that yeah. that's not always the case and for young queer and trans people of all intersections and diversities, you know, what would you 
like to say to them perhaps um you know if mm. it's not going as well i mean i am only 15 so do what you want with this information but i'd say like the biggest thing that i'm focusing on at the moment is i mean it's a hard thing to do but i think when you do it you do notice a big difference is trying to surround yourself with people who you know will love and accept you for you and yep. i mean there's great events that are put on with midsummer vic pride minus 18 that kind of nurture those kind of friendships for people who will love and accept you so i think it's really important to just put all your time and energy into people who you know will have your back at the end of the day. We just heard from Frankie Mazzoni speaking to Sally from Out of the Pan for 3CR special live broadcast from the Pride Street Party that took place on Sunday in Fitzroy. You can catch Sally on Out of the Pan every Sunday from 12 to 1pm here on 3CR or go to 3cr.org.au slash out of the pan. To end our show today, we're going to play another track. This is by Nam-based punk duo Cry Club. Heather from uh, Cry Club joined Sally from Out of the Pan during yesterday's live broadcast. And uh, this is their song, Somehow You Still Get to Me.
so that was uh, Cry Club with Somehow You Still Get To Me. That brings us to the end of our show this morning. Thank you for joining us on Tuesday Breakfast today. Keep it locked to 3CR. And as always, uh, coming up next is Accent of Women. Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean to bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao, and cacao mass in bulk. A zero waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically sourced cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at livingcoco.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Three CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings, cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.